Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, yo, Daph, what's going on? What's going on? How's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. I decided to take a little pause. Um, I have been collecting data for so long and just going, going, going that I decided to take a just break and do a little bit of binge watching TV. And child, I watched this documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight. What? Was it like Netflix or something? Yeah. And, um, you know, without giving too much away, they should have named that documentary uh, Abducted with my parents' permission. Oh, wow. It's like that. Yeah. The whole time I was like, what am I watching? And then I Google other people's reaction and everybody was just like, what am I watching? Yo, it's wild. You know, the truth is stranger than fiction. I'll just say that. So is it like, is it like a series or is it like? No, it's just like a one shot, 90 minute documentary about this, this girl who was abducted by, you know, this man. But then when you find out all the details around how she was taken and why, you know, he wasn't initially charged and it's wild. Do you want me to tell you? I I don't want to give a spoiler. I mean, you can go ahead because I probably won't be watching it. I'm just going to say, come to find out. The mama and the daddy have been having sexual relations with this man who kind of seduced them to get close to the daughter. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Yes. <laughs> and when the cops, uh, the FBI had like arrested him, they were about to have like this trial. And um, the man and his wife like sent the family documents saying, like, you know, can you sign this statement saying like the daughter wasn't taken against her will, you know, all of these things they were taken. She was taken with, you know, your permission, blah, blah, blah. Um, because if they didn't sign it, he was going to um, tell everybody that the dad and him had fooled around. Oh, wow. wow. And the affair with the mom started after all of that happened. Dang. So, so did, <laughs> Did both, like the mom and the dad, did they know that both of them was messing with this guy? Yeah, so the dad had stopped. And so the wife found out when the guy threatened, like, I'm going to tell everybody that I fooled around Uh, with the husband if y'all don't sign this document. And then the affair with the mom started after that. So after he had put them through all of that, she still had like a six or seven month affair with him. Woo, That's, that's a wild story. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, funny. and it gets wilder than that. But I'm just like, at that point, I was just like, "Yo, yo, what um, am I? What? What is this?" Yeah, if I if I saw the title and probably the description, I wouldn't be expecting all of that. So that's some crazy twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. There's another documentary I heard uh, too. Was good on Netflix. Well, I know there's a bunch, but somebody was talking about the Sam Cooke documentary. Oh, I saw that last night. I thought about watching it. I was killed. How Sam Cooke was killed twice or something. Yeah, like yeah. Somebody told me that was really good. So I'm about to try to check that one out too. Okay, yeah, for Black mm-hmm. History Month. Mm-hmm. And I know you also got a birthday coming up, right? Or by the yes! time this episode airs, 
<laughs> yes, by the time the episode airs, I will be a whole 33. Uh-oh, let's give a round of applause. 33 yes. years old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know, I hope by the end of the year I have accomplished, you know, some, some great things. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you will. You already have. So just keep that momentum going. It's going <laughs> to be good. Looking good for 33. All right. Um, so, What's yeah. been going on with you? Nothing much. Um, got a little vacay break because of the holiday, right? This is a holiday, I'm sure. Well, I know we yeah. have classes canceled, so I don't go back to classes till, till Wednesday by the time this episode airs. So um, got a few days off, which is good to re- regroup a little bit. Uh, but I ain't been doing much. Caught up all my work. And so I'm kind of just chilling right now at the moment. That's good. That's so yeah, good. Ain't, ain't too much going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, but so we got some um, Oh Lord news, I'm sure. Ready to rock? Yes, we do. We all do. Right, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening Oh Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say... I'm sure you heard about the January 29th Jesse Smollett attack. Yep, I heard about it. Yeah, he told authorities uh, that two men attacked him. They were yelling out racial and homophobic slurs. There has been like some discrepancies on whether he said they were wearing MAGA hats or not. But either way it go, people, you know, have been rallying behind him because of this hate attack. Yeah. Well... I don't know. Recent reports uh, from police suggest that he potentially orchestrated the attack and had the two brothers to, you know, attack him. Yeah. Uh, When I heard this story break, um, I was like, what in the world? man? This is true. Oh, man. He's going to be in so much trouble. If this is true, he is so over. And so I think people started asking questions because I, from what I've heard, when the guys were first arrested, they actually found out one of the guys had appeared on Empire before. Mm. And like, there's actually a picture of one of the guys with like the creator, you know, director of Empire. Oh, okay. Lee Daniels, right? Yeah, Lee Daniels. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that was, I don't know, that made my spidey senses tangle a little bit but I'm just like you know I I don't know I I don't know but you know this is starting to develop he has denied that he orchestrated this so we don't know if it's quite oh lord news but it is definitely heading toward that category yeah I mean yeah it's still developing and I think, you know, the funny thing is, even when it first happened, I wasn't paying too much attention to it. I mean, I was like, dang, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm sad that happened. Um, but then I was listening to like the Joe Budden podcast and this was like a couple of days after it happened. And they were like just pointing out all the red flags in his story. And they were like, has have some reservations as far as fully believing him. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Really didn't pay too much mind about it. And then now, you know, I see this and I'm like, OK, maybe they were on to something. Um, and I remember from there from their podcast, they was really just talking about how some things didn't add up. Like when it happened, he called his manager instead of calling the police. And there was like a big lag in between of him going to, 
um, the the hospital and all this other. It's like this like this time gap of like when it happened and then like when he went to the hospital that is kind of like unaccounted for like what took you so long which is what a lot of people I think were questioning mm. um, but but yeah I mean I think I, I seen that his lawyer yeah recently put out something said you know it's not true uh, but that also one of the guys I think one of the reports said the guy one of the guys was like his trainer or something like that that he has mm. some connection to because I saw the police said that pretty much they, they brought the two guys in their brothers and um, they were very cooperative and like they they said that he paid him to do it or he was in on it. And they, one of them gave the police officers um, their phone and pretty much said, go through it. And apparently there's like right before the attack happened that, you know, they talked to Jesse on the phone. Mm. Um, and so it's like, hmm, OK, well, you know, maybe <laughs> if he didn't orchestrate it, but I think there's evidence to say that he knows them. You know, um, yeah, and that says something too. Uh, so I don't know. And I, and Joe Budden and them were saying that on Reddit uh, that people were saying that it was like kind of like a lovers quarrel is is what they people on Reddit were were theorizing. Like he was trying to holler at somebody, and then like somebody's dude found out, and then they kind of like it got physical kind of thing, which also maybe a believable story. Who knows? There's a lot of conspiracies going down right now. But who knows? But this is. If he put this out here and is what the brothers are saying, you know, he just canceled himself. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they would keep him on the show, you know, uh, like what would happen with that? I read that he potentially pulled this stunt because his character is supposedly leaving the show. Again, that's a that's one of those theories, conspiracy theories out there. But actually, it's what I read that he pulled the stunt to remain on the show, but I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a lot. I don't know. I guess, I mean, the truth will come out, you know, we'll see. It will. It is getting closer. Um, But I really hope he did not orchestrate this. I just hope he did not do that, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Speaking of coming under fire, a substitute teacher is under fire after telling her music class, it wasn't even a history class, but she was substituting in a history, uh, in a music class. And she told the class that Martin Luther King Jr. killed himself and that the whole assassination plot was made up. Oh my God. So this was a music class? Yes. And she was subbing in that class and she decided to implement her own lesson plans. And, you know, she started telling them that Trump was sent by God, um, that uh, Trump loves the country and all Americans. And then she decided to tell a couple of students that, you know, she didn't like what they had on. And she told the students that they were marked for prison because they had on like athletic apparel. Wow. Wow. She need to go. I mean, pretty sure she's already gone. Yes, she has. Yeah, (laughs) she has been released from the from the district. But it's funny because she was she also was just like, um, you know, I I don't want to work at this district anymore. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, you have no choice. Like you have no choice, lady. <laughs> Crazy like, lady. People, they go into prison and Trump sent from God and Martin Luther King killed us. So what? Like yes. 
Wild, wild. It was wild. all a conspiracy, and Martin Luther King killed. Well, I'm sure. Them, I'm sure the reason we found out is because a bunch of them kids did not believe that and went home and told somebody and was like, "Yo, yeah, I'll tell you what this sub was on today." Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if those kids were black, but I do know the ones she told were marked for prison. They were of, of color, so they came mm-hmm. back and told you know their parents like, "Nah." Mm-hmm. I bet. Well, glad glad she's gone. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Music. In the music class, like I don't even know how you have time to go do that. You supposed to be like, I guess maybe if you're not the real, she don't know music. Maybe she, I don't. But she clearly don't know history either. So I don't she, know yeah, she don't know she either. One. <laughs> okay. Uh, and speaking of teachers, this is a university teacher. And we got to talk about him. So, University of Michigan Flint professor filed a formal complaint against Wayne State University for sex discrimination. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mark Perry, an economics professor of U of M uh, Flint, submitted the Title I complaint against Wayne State because they hosted a Black Girls Code workshop over the summer. Okay. And that's discriminate, sex discrimination against white what? males. Oh, wow. Okay, he's wild. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, like what? Oh, that's he didn't man. say he didn't say white males, but he did say it was discriminatory against boys, okay. and that is in violation of you know Title IX and stuff like that. Um, but of course, the university responded was like, "We also have coding workshops that include boys. Like, there's nothing discriminatory against you know about this." So yeah, and then it's great. It's like if you the only way it's discriminatory is if you have absolutely no access to these opportunities. But yeah. And Wayne State was like, we host Black Girls Code, which is also open to girls of other races, but we also have coding workshops for boys. So, and he doesn't even go to that university. Oh my God. He's at the University of Michigan Flint. He's doing it against Wayne State University. Come to find out, he just finds reasons to try to, you know, file civil rights complaints against places. I think this is like his 35th complaint. Mm. about various like 35th complaint with various title one offices across the country that's what I'm- so he's just trying to start so, yeah, something he trying yeah he trying to come up somehow i'm sure that's what it sounds like mm-hmm. get some money it's, mm-hmm. it's clearly he had, he's a bias against women because he's only attacking you know title nine things supposedly against males. So. Oh, so he's probably one of those types that for some reason feels offended that that women have these protections <laughs> and that we're given opportunities. <laughs> yes. To oh God forbid <laughs> women get opportunities, man. That's really upsetting. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, silly people. Silly people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay. that that's all I have for all Lord knows. Do you have anything? Okay, yeah, this recent story that just came up, you know, again, this theme for this month has been going with health-related factors. And uh, one that came up, which is very interesting, again, because many people I know, New Year, probably still in that momentum of working out and trying to figure out what diets uh, work with them. And so the study that came out on CNN has reported it. Well, that's where I got it, but I'm pretty sure it's at a lot of other news outlets. Um it's talking about drinking diet beverages or using kind of artificial sweeteners and the effects it has on your body mm-hmm. and what the American Heart Association has found and the American Stroke Association. So these are very credible sources. Um, and what they found is pretty much drinking two or more of any kind of artificially sweetened drinks a day 
is linked to an increased risk of clot-based strokes and heart attacks. Um, And it said these risks really were highest for women, even with no history of heart disease or diabetes and women who are obese or African-American. So, you know, clearly this affects for some reason, it seems like it is affecting women more than men. And of course, black women more than any other uh, groups of women as well. So uh, these are things to keep, you know, in mind as you guys are thinking about, you know, ways to, to lose weight. Yeah, that's scary to hear because I actually, I use Splenda. Um, I try to stay away from sugar um, because my body just, sugar in my body don't get along. Um, And so that's kind of, it sucks to hear because it's like, what am I going to do? Do I get (laughs) diabetes or do I, you know, increase my risk for like a stroke? Yeah. It says African African American women without a previous history of heart or diabetes, heart or diabetes um, disease, heart disease or diabetes were about four times as likely to have a clot based stroke, um, but that stroke risk didn't apply to white women. Yo, why, why, why are companies <laughs> discriminating against us with the food? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are targeting, you know, communities of color with these kind of food products and stuff. And and I know people, you know, it it does sound to be healthier when you're like, okay, let me reduce my sugar. Let me go with the diet drinks. Um, But, you know, they say although they can't show direct causation, there was like these correlations are pretty strong. And it uh, you should raise it does should raise some red flags for people who are doing this. So. Okay. Keep it in mind, they said, you know, the healthy alternatives are pretty much, you know, drinking, um, you know, says what they said is we should be drinking more water and having natural beverages such as unsweetened herbal teas um, would, would okay. be the better options. Okay, so I guess I'm going to go back because, you know, the time that I went clean, like clean eating and stuff, I did stop eating, like uh, drinking like artificial sweeteners and stuff like that. So I guess I'm really going to have to get back on that kick. Clean eating. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm about to share this news to my pops because he loves them like <laughs> them water, the oh, flavored yeah, water yeah, drinks. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was like, oh, look, there's no calories, there's no sugar. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it has some artificial sweeteners in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm about to let him know too. You know, like, listen, you got to fall back on this, man. Just, just try to drink some water. I know it's not the most, you know, entertaining and drink, but <laughs> it just seems to be <laughs> the most healthy. Um, yes. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. But yeah, right, speaking but yeah. of health, yeah, I guess that gets us into the, today's episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Today we are talking with a guest who has appeared on here before, Dr. Siobhan Moore-Laban, um, who is a psychologist who's talked to us before about black uh, mental health in the black community. Um, so we decided to bring her on again. This is almost a year later and we kind of joke around. She's our probably going to be our new resident, BHD resident psychologist <laughs> when we need to talk about matters of mental health and things that are like. But, you know, we've talked about sociological perspective of, of, of health. And then we talked about kind of the physical perspective and the medical perspective with black doctors. And now we're finishing off the month with talking about the mental health perspective. And we're focusing specifically on a mental health issue that has been getting a lot of headlines, which is dealing with anxiety. Um, for sure. So it was a really good and fruitful conversation, as you'll see shortly. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was a very good discussion. It hit home for me because sometimes I experience anxiety. So, you know, I really just hope this conversation is, is informative for people who maybe experience it or people who want to support a loved one with anxiety. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. One of the big things we talk about for me, you know, even though I don't personally experience anxiety a lot, is that also in my profession, uh, a lot of my students deal with anxiety and I've been having a tough time figuring out how to deal with that, how to approach the situation. And uh, Siobhan offers some great advice on on all the above. So So, without further ado, you ready to get into it, Dev? I am. All right, so we'll catch up with y'all afterwards. Building on our previous conversations about mental health, today's episode focuses on a specific issue that is becoming increasingly prevalent among millennials and women anxiety. Specifically, we interview Dr. Siobhan Moore-Laban, a licensed psychologist and a director of clinical training at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Washington, D.C., about the differences between stress and anxiety, the unexpected ways that anxiety may manifest itself, how individuals can help manage their condition, and how friends and family can help support a loved one experiencing anxiety. We also discuss celebrities such as Charlemagne the God and Kanye West, who have recently opened up about their experiences with anxiety. Welcome, Dr. Moore Laban. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. No, thanks for being back. I think, um, you know, you have a lot of accolades and credentials, and I think we can add one more to the list and make you our uh, <laughs> resident psychologist for BHD. Oh, like yes, <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I want, I want to see that in the, sig- the signature line of your emails from now on, too. I got it. I feel like I feel like I'm one step closer to Oprah now. I told your listeners last time that that is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate goal. We're trying to help you get there. You know, yeah, yeah. So we can all get a piece of that billion dollar pie once you get it. Right, right, right. We'll get we'll get some cutbacks to you. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I know some of our listeners are familiar with you, but we have a lot of new listeners since the last time we spoke, which is almost a year ago. Uh, So maybe you can just, you know, reintroduce yourself to our new listeners and tell them tell them a little bit about what you do and who you are. Yeah, great. So um, so I'm happy to be here again. I'm Dr. Siobhan Moore-Laban. What can I tell you about me? Well, the last time we talked, I actually was just in the middle of transitioning jobs and cities. So um, so I was previously in Boston uh, at a place called Massachusetts Mental Health Center and working with a training program for Harvard Medical School for the um, psychology and psychiatry um, training program over there. And now I'm living in Washington, D.C., um, and I took a new role here as the director of clinical training at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, but in Washington, D.C. So it's a little bit of a mouthful. Um, so I'm doing that right now, still just, you know, kind of busy and active in the world of psychology, um, more and more active within the American Psychological Association. I sit on one of their boards now, the Board for the Advancement of Psychology and the Public Interest. Um, I'm actually chair-elect of that board, which I'm very excited, nervous, and anxious about, which could be a good topic <laughs> for today with anxiety. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, th- things, things are going well here on my end, um, just really continuing to put the message out there about what, um, what mental health issues are and, and what we can do about them. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's mostly me right now. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for our listeners, last time we had um, Siobhan on, you know, it was generally a, a, a conversation just about mental health uh, from a broader perspective, talking about mental health in the black community. Um, but today we would like to, you know, be a little bit more specific uh, because within these past few months, there's been a lot of conversations specifically talking about anxiety. Um, and so, you know, we'll dive deep into that in today's conversation and really highlight, you know, what anxiety is and all that stuff we have. We're glad to have Siobhan on air with us to really, you know, um, explain what this is to us folks who are not in this profession. I agree. And I was just going to say, Purdue is taking over the DMV, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Purdue all out there in D.C. And that area, yeah. Man, I need to take my way out there. Yeah. Uh, right. But, but, yes. Uh, but getting back to what Ty was saying, yes, I feel people are having conversations about anxiety. And I know for me, I and the listeners might also want to know, like, what is anxiety and how is it different from sh- just regular old stress? Like, is there a difference and how can people tell? Mm, that's a good question. So, you know, so anxiety and stress are, are similar in a lot of ways. And I think the way that people talk about them generally generally um, is kind of interchangeable, at least, again, in the way that people speak about them. Uh, Anxiety itself is different. Like the daily experience of anxiety is also different than having like an anxiety disorder, right? So I guess I kind of want to break that down in three ways that there's there's like stress where maybe you have a little bit of worry or or, uh, 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 thoughts about something coming up, that stress can actually really be good or bad. So I, I think oftentimes we talk about stress as if it's only a bad thing, but there's some level of stress that, you know, is positive. It motivates you. It makes you get up and do the thing that you need to do. It makes you work harder at your studies or, you know, perform better in your job or, or whatever the case may be for 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 a particular person. Anxiety, similarly, um, has to do with this kind of worry or fear that a person might have that something is not going to go well or that something is going to, um, you know, be poorly, something bad is going to happen. And and that's similar to stress in a way. But I think when we talk about it within the field of psychology, we're thinking a little more about anxiety that could lead to something like an anxiety disorder. Right. And so I think one question is kind of what makes the general stress or anxiety or worry or fears that people feel on a regular basis? Like what makes that different than something that might be an actual anxiety disorder? Um, And the main difference there is the way in which it impacts your life. So you can feel a lot of anxiety or worry or fear about lots of things on a daily basis and also have a way of coping with them. Um, They may not impact your life in these different domains that are important to you. Like you may still be able to go to work and do what you need to do. You may still be able to have interpersonal relationships that are successful. You may be able to get up in front of people and speak like maybe you're anxious about it, but you can still do it. Um, When we think about diagnosing something in terms of like an anxiety disorder, the level of intensity of the worry that people feel is different. So it's more of a persistent worry that just doesn't seem to resolve itself. It's more of a persistent fear that kind of doesn't go away, right? This this 
being worried that something is going to happen, something negative. It can feel uncontrollable um, to a person. And it really does then end up interfering in these important domains of people's life, right? So that's when now they can't perform on the test they're supposed to be taking, or they can't give the presentation at work, or maybe they're not leaving their house because they're so worried about what might happen in the outside world. So there's there's kind of, there's different levels of it. But when we think about it as a disorder, what you'll notice is a much more impactful um, uh, uh, kind of kind of limitation to, to people's lives. That's interesting. Um, so I guess trying to understand this, it seems like, you know, anxiety seems to be a form of stress, but it seems to be a little bit more long term is what you're saying, where, you know, like you said, you can have people stress all the time about other things, but it may come and go in the moment. But it seems like anxiety is something that you can't really shake. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 That's a yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Anxiety can feel a little uh, a little less controlled, right? So stress you can think about is sometimes particular to a situation, right? So I'm going to, uh, you know, I have a huge presentation at work coming up um, that, uh, you know, all of the main bosses and people will be at, right? I might feel a little bit of stress around that. That would be normal. There's some, there's something important that's going to happen. And, you know, I might feel stress, uh, but the anxiety around it might be continuous. Like from the moment that I find out that I have to do this thing, it's all I think about. It's all I worry about. And it's not tied to just doing that performance in general. It might be tied to performing overall, or it might be tied to having people kind of look at me and judge me and judge what I'm going to say overall. So there's a, there's a, bit of a a broadening when it comes to anxiety versus just the stress that a person may feel, I think is one way that you can think about it. Uh, You know, that that the stress might be to a particular situation and you might see the anxiety really spreading across different uh, areas of people's lives. I really appreciate the distinction you made between stress and anxiety and Ty's point about anxiety being a long-term feeling that you can't shake. Building on that, I'd like to know how anxiety manifests itself and you know are there any unexpected ways you might see anxiety manifested yeah yeah so you know anxiety uh, uh shows up in a lot of different ways i think for a number of people there's a cognitive component to it right so that has to do with your thoughts that there are these sometimes repetitive thoughts that like something bad is going to happen or you know i'm going to fail or I can't do this or what if this or you know that sort of like worry can show up in the in a way that that there's ruminative thinking around it and so that can make people feel really trapped inside of the thought and just kind of unable to get away from it the other side of it is more physiological right so you might see uh or or you might feel a little more restless you might feel like you just gotta kind of get up and do something you gotta like (laughs) kind of shake it off somehow or or feeling a little bit more on edge um oftentimes you know somebody is really in a situation and they're feeling a lot of stress and anxiety their heart might start to pound a little faster right so these heart palpitations that you know people might say like oh it feels like my 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 heart is beating out of my chest right now. Um, you know, they might be sweating, right? So sweaty palms, maybe their like face is sweating. <laughs> maybe it's, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, in, in other areas, uh, they're just getting very 
they're just the the stress is kind of coming out of their body in that in that way uh, they might have like these huge kind of pit stains under their arms so you know so that can happen too the other thing is that being really anxious takes a lot of energy so so actually i think that's probably the way that stress shows up in ways that people would least expect expect is that you can often feel like wiped out you know people feel a lot of fatigue they feel a lot of tiredness because your body is you know these heart your heart pounding faster the sweating and things like that you know your 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 body is exhausted from stuff like that so and in in the cognitive piece of like going over and over and over the thought again all of that can be very exhausting so i think there's a level of tiredness and fatigue that often comes with anxiety um you know lots of muscle tension kind of going back to the body thing uh you know people whose shoulders are always kind of closer to to their ears instead of in a more relaxed posture or muscle tightening in other ways um and and sleep is an is another big one you know a lot of times especially when it comes to the the cognitive piece the thinking sometimes people are like i just can't shut my brain off when it's time to lay down i'm still you know ruminating and thinking about everything that happened today and what went wrong. I'm super worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or, you know, what's coming up in the future. There's this, again, kind of this inability to control the thoughts of the anxiety um, that can sometimes really lead to more sleep disturbance. And when we're not sleeping, no one's really at their best. And so the, the challenging part about the sleep disturbance is that it really only worsens the anxiety or the stress long term because we deal with things better when we're, we've had an opportunity to kind of rest and restore throughout the night. So when people are not getting that, um, the anxiety might even be heightened later on. Mm. Now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the physical aspect and the mental aspect playing mm-hmm. together and, and, and can be challenging, yeah, when, when anxiety comes in and you can have extreme and I guess that's with straight stress in general, right? Um Yeah. How it can affect your, your physical state in a lot of different ways, especially chronic stress, chronic anxiety. Yeah. I yeah. know things like linked to blood pressure and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things, and, and this is from, I guess, from where I'm at, you know, being a professor and there's been a lot of growing conversations and concerns surrounding anxiety for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, all the way up to the higher levels of administration uh, in the president's office, there's been a lot of conversation and dialogue around anxiety, mainly dealing with students um, and, mm-hmm. with, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of the faculty and myself and admin, we're all like trying to figure out currently of how to address this. It's clearly been a rising concern, mainly because we've seen an increased presence of anxiety and students saying they have anxiety and it affecting their education and their performance in school. Um, and so a lot of faculty naturally are like, okay, what do we do? How do we handle this? Because, you know, we're yeah. not mental health profess- uh, professor- professionals and um and so like, the, you know, and so it's a lot of things and not really sure, you know, we have disability resource centers and stuff like that on campus to help students with other things. Right. But we're not even sure if they're adequately prepped to handle like anxiety. Right. Um, yeah. And then a part of the conversation, too, is amongst faculty, including myself, is how do how serious do we take it? Right. Um, because yeah. oftentimes students are not like getting diagnosed. They're saying they're having all these issues with anxiety. And it's like as from a professor standpoint, you know, I don't want to be like, OK, 
giving you this extra time and the other yeah, stuff to the other right. students and it's like right. how can you work through it what do I say it's really it's really tough you know and me I'm a tough professor yeah. so I don't like to give you know no <laughs> most of the time if it's not documented I'm like uh you know tough luck <laughs> um, but I have been noticing I can't I can't you know I can't look overlook it anymore because it's becoming such an issue so now from my eyes I'm trying to figure yeah. out okay I need some tips. I need some strategies of how to at least figure this out or or at least work with students and, and trying to help them understand this and help me understand, too, so I can at least help them in their studies. So I guess from that perspective, you know, yeah. and I know there's probably other academics listening and I know it's a it's a problem going on around around the nation. So can you provide some insight to that as far as, you know, us who are not in a professional a mental health professional field? How do we deal with this when it comes to our students and others with anxiety? Yeah. 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 So, you know, so I, I, I think my first response is is some level of understanding for the student. Right. And I also in this new role um, as the director of clinical training, I have uh, I have a faculty position. Well, it's really an administrative position, but I do some um, I do some things as fa- as the other faculty members in terms of like teaching, advising. I have dissertation students and so forth. And so, you know, I can really relate to not wanting to just give a whole bunch of extensions and deadlines, you know, to one student when it it doesn't seem fair at all to the other. So, you know, one of the things that I do uh, is to first kind of sit down with the student to figure out what, what is it exactly that you're anxious about? And that, and I, and I do this in my role as their instructor for the class, their professor, and not in my role as a psychologist, um, which is interesting in that it it really is, I want to be mindful of dual relationships. So although I am a psychologist, I certainly am not my student psychologist. Um, and so, you know, it's the same thing for other faculty members, although, you know, you want to understand what's going on with the person. You're not their therapist. You know, there's really only so much you can do. And there's only so much you should do to try to unpack some of this stuff. But what I often do is sit down to try to figure out what's going on with the student in a way that encourages them to go figure it out with whoever their therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist is. I do talk to them about getting accommodations if it seems like that would be helpful because a fairness to the other students. I'm not going to, you know, like you're saying, Ty, I'm not going to give a whole bunch of extensions and deadlines just because you're feeling anxious because, you know, other students might be feeling anxious but able to overcome that. So yeah. it's it's that it, it's that earlier thing that I was saying about what's the difference between you being anxious and you having an anxiety disorder, right? You feeling anxious is something that many people feel all the time and our role is to learn how to cope and adjust with it. Having an anxiety disorder is similar in that it's something that people feel all all the time. You want to learn to cope and adjust with it. But there's this extra level of the persistence of the anxiety that you just can't seem to get away from or the way that it interferes in these different areas of your life, like your school that you just can't seem to kind of and get a hold of, right? And so if that's where we are, then they really should go and talk to someone and see if there is a diagnosis there and get the proper accommodations for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in general for students and really for everyone, but for students too, there's so much pressure and expectations around them succeeding that it really drives this worry and fear about their performance. And and again, that's what anxiety is, right? We're talking about persistent worry 
worry, persistent fear, these persistent thoughts that you're not going to do something good enough or be good enough or something's going to go wrong. That certainly relates to their academics. And I'm sure they've had pressure since the time that they first started school in terms of what what does it mean to succeed and that there's no room for failure and you know if you want to get to this point in your life you have to do x y and z and and almost do it perfectly i mean i see so many students who are worried about being perfect and really not understanding that imperfection is okay expected normal exactly what's going to happen you know like they just they just can't get that and so sometimes i talk with students about what are ways that you can let go of some of that pressure? What are, I can normalize for them. The fact that you're not gonna get 100% on everything you turn in in this class. It's just not gonna happen. Yeah. My expectations are high, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't. And, and I think the other piece is that that's not reflective of you then not being a good student. That is, doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful in your life. That doesn't mean that you're going to fail. It means that you're an imperfect person. And I think we live in a society at this day and age, and especially with social media, um, where the idea of everything is to be perfect, right? We're all just trying to present the best of everything and not showing that other side of stuff. And so I think within the realm of academics, that comes up too. And so professors can remind students about, you know, everybody's going to make mistakes. Everything's not going to be perfect. You know, this, you know, kind of what's your goal and what are you going toward? But where's the room for error in it too? I mean, I think that's, that's one step. And again, if it really is like, I can't turn in my assignments, I just can't get this done. I'm failing the test or quizzes because I sit down to take them and I'm flooded with like thoughts and emotions and I'm sweating and I can't concentrate, which is another um, way that anxiety manifests. You know, if that's it, then let's talk about really sending you to the right person in the school who can talk with you about accommodations and you getting that right but if that's not it then let's kind of think about other solutions as well mm, mm. Yeah, that's real um yeah because i'm trying to think you know even to give our listeners some examples like one i guess a couple of main ways that i feel like i've encountered anxiety amongst my students has been pretty much having to hand in work and i remember having one student who who would write excellent papers but she would always hand them in like five days late you know and she said she was handing them because of her anxiety you know because she wanted it to be like this perfect paper and then when she was getting ready to hand it in it was like all this stress and then she couldn't write and all this other kind of but her papers were brilliant and i'm like yo you're losing points because you're handing in late otherwise all these papers would be a's but because you're handling them so late they're coming out to be c's even though the work and the content is excellent and so it was like you know i tried to talk with her about it but it's like you know i'm not i'm not living with her i'm not a psychologist and she still was handing them in late and uh, to me as an instructor I'm like damn like what do I what do I do you know <laughs> these papers yeah. are great but yeah. your anxiety you're handling them late and you yeah. can't get a good grade so it's kind of like I don't I don't know yeah. I, I just it was like my hands were tied uh, but seeing that kind of yeah. stuff sucked you know yeah you know I feel mm-hmm. like I mean one I, I don't accept <laughs> I don't accept like papers <laughs> so when students you know I and I tell I tell my students that at the beginning of, of the semester like I'm, I'm not taking it late unless there's some you know excuse that I feel like is really excusable I'm not t- 
taking the paper in late. So give, give me something and something is going to be better than nothing. Um, and I think that's again to that idea of it is not going to be perfect. I don't want you to turn in a paper five days late because you were making it the most perfect paper possible. Uh, and not, again, kind of balancing the role of I'm not their psychologist, but just in being a person that cares about them, I can say, you know, in life, you are not going to be perfect and everything you do is not going to be perfect. And the longer you continue this path of nothing thing gets done or is good enough unless it's perfect, the bigger issue you're going to have long term. You're not going to be a perfect student. You're not going to be a perfect parent if you choose to go that way in your life. You're not going to be the perfect partner to another person. You're not going to be the perfect friend. You're not going to be perfect perfect at your job. Like you're just not going to do that. And so the longer that we continue to feed into this with students of saying like, you know, your desire for perfection is okay. I feel like the more we're actually setting them up for bigger failures in the long run, because they'll just keep expecting that. Mm. And it is unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. I try to think about like, I guess, and then we get to the next question, but uh, you know, how my experience is growing up. And, I, you know, I don't think I had a lot of stress and anxiety when it comes to schoolwork and things. But I also thinking as far as why, I think it's because of how my, what my mom, what she used to say when it just come to our schoolwork and stuff. She never told us to, like, get A's. She just always said, you know, do the best you can. And whatever you get is what you get, you know. And so I think that's what always stuck with me, you know, from 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 high school to undergrad to graduate school. It's like, all right, I'm going to do the best I can. And if it's an A, if it's an A, it's a B, it's a B. But I put it on the table and it is what it is. And so I never was, like, focused on just, like, that letter grade. And it always confused me when I, like, or I always got confused when I saw, like, a lot of my peers, like, stressing out about grades and, like, what they got. I'm like, yo, if you did your best, it's cool. Like, then that's your best (laughs) is a B, it's a B today. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but you're right. When you're so result focused on the results and that defines yeah. everything about you, then it's like, then I feel like I can see where a lot of anxiety because it's like, oh, I really need this A unless, or I'm not good yeah. enough. Yeah. I'm not good enough. Exactly. And so it ends up being more about who you are, you know, and, and what you're capable of than just what you did on that particular paper. And that's much harder for students to shake. That's why, you know, she's continuing to try to perfect this paper is because this particular paper, just like every other particular thing in her life, is a representation of who she is and what she's worth to her, you know. Yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. And it's funny on the flip side, when I get a lot of students who like, who say yeah, I did I did the best I can, but they're mad because it wasn't an A, and they get mad at yeah. you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I worked really hard on this. And I'm not, and why is it not an A? Because <laughs> well, it's not an A. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Yeah. Your point about the tendency of students to attach grades to their self-worth is really important. And as a Ph.D. student, I'll admit that I'm guilty of doing that sometimes. Um, Also, you said or you talked about the connection between anxiety and striving for perfection. And that's so right on. It actually reminds me of a quote that said, perfectionism is not the quest for the best, it's the pursuit of the worst in ourselves, a part that tells us that nothing we do will ever be good enough. 
And like I said, I think that's so right on. Um, Since we're on the topic of individual mindsets and behaviors, can you talk to us about how individuals can manage their own anxiety? You know, what are some of the immediate and long-term strategies and when is it time for medication? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that that can go. Um, And so so I want to come back to a point, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to come back to kind of cultural differences in the ways that anxiety manifests in this academic setting. And I think in general, overall, um, you know, we could talk about that, but, but in academics too. But one thing that people can do, you know, has to do with uh, first, I always say, what is the anxiety about? I, I just firmly believe across all sorts of issues that a person is having that you really cannot figure out how to deal with it until you understand what it actually is, right? So why are you so anxious about turning in this paper? Why are you so anxious about leaving your house? Why are you so anxious that, you know, your partner is cheating on you? Like whatever it is across any level, you know, there's really something underneath that that's kind of feeding the behavior. There's some thought that you're having that's feeding it. So like we were talking about the example of that student, I'm saying it's not just, you know, okay, turn the paper in and it will be fine. Like that's not going to help her if she doesn't understand that turning the paper in is not not a true representation of who she is. If it's like, this has to be perfect or I'm not good enough, you know, then that's kind of one way that we would be able to address it. If it's, you know, I have to turn this perfect paper in or my entire life is gonna be a failure, well then there's another way that we would address it there. So so I think the first step is to figure out what's actually fueling this, what's underneath this anxiety that you're having. You know, I think the the next step, depending on that first answer, is to talk with someone about it. There's very little that I think we do a good job resolving on our own. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, tell everybody everything, but find like, find a, a friend that you trust, find a family member that you trust if it is in the academic setting like we're talking about today find a advisor or faculty member you know that you trust and somebody who has gone through this um, and kind of talk and be open and expressive about what's going on so that you can get some level of help that doesn't mean that that person is going to give you mental health kind of help but there are still other ways that faculty or friends or family can be supportive other than again being the person's therapist if the person needs a therapist or if they want to you know do therapy they should seek that too i think that's a that's another way of addressing this Um, a therapist is probably gonna do the same thing that i'm saying right now it's kind of number one help you figure out what's actually underneath this like what is fueling this might ask you to do other things that we know just help with stress in general like exercise right i think i talked about that the last time that i was here that getting out and exercising and getting those endorphins going and having something to relieve some of your stress if exercise is a stress reliever for you um, can be really positive other things of mindfulness like the adult coloring things the eat a raisin mindfully which is something you could look up just meditation yoga all sorts of ways of learning to kind of 
center and calm yourself is helpful for anxiety because what it's doing is slowing down the thought process in your body's reaction to the thought process, which is actually giving you a chance to make different choices in your response or at least explore it in a different way right so I think that's another way um, and sleep actually getting sleep I mean again like I said when we're not when we're not resting and we're we're exhausted already it is much more difficult to deal with anything that already would have been stressful or anxiety provoking and so getting rest setting yourself on a routine is something that can be helpful um, and and when you know when is medication appropriate I mean, that's always a conversation between a person and their, ultimately their psychiatrist or maybe their primary care physician. Um, Or if you live in a state where psychologists are prescribing medications, then it it might be with that psychologist. And if you're not, it still might tangentially be with the psychologist. But, you know, ultimately it's up to you and your provider in terms of when you're gonna make that decision. But the key marker is gonna be back to, is this truly interfering in different important domains of your life, right? Is it not just, do I feel stressed on a daily basis, but do I feel stressed? And because of that stress and anxiety, I am unable to do X, Y, and Z. And that's very real for people, you know, not being able to go into work for the day or not being able to, um, um, you know, take care of people that they need to take care of or engage in activities that they care about and that are meaningful to them because of the level of anxiety they feel around it. And so I think if it's to that point, then, you know, you may along with your provider, think about what medication could look like and how that may be a helpful starting point to getting you in a position where you can also practice other things. Mm. No, that's no, that, that's real. Um, that's some good advice because I think yeah, a lot of times people just don't know, like, okay, when should I get help, you know? Because, you know, like yeah. anxiety and stress is going to happen. I don't think any of us can escape it, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, having that good insight as far as, okay, all right, here are some signs where I probably need to get a little extra help, whether it be talking to friends, yeah. um, whether it not be talking to friends. Um, yeah. Speaking of friends, I was wondering what role can and should friends and family play in helping a loved one to overcome anxiety? What What are some of the things they can do? Um, you know, so I... I I mean, I I really think it's the same and that the first thing that any person who's trying to support has to do is figure out what is this about. And a lot of times, especially from the family, it it may be messages from within the family that have brought upon the anxiety in the first place. Mm. So, you know, for example, I go back to the kind of academic examples. There are a lot of students that are first generation college students Mm -hmm. that feel a tremendous amount of pressure to succeed for their family, to be able to take care of their family. Maybe their families have sacrificed for them to get them where they are today. And maybe everybody's hope is within that person. I have a number of students who've been in that position, you know? And so at that point, what the family together would have to think about is does the hope really lie all with this person? And and some recognition on, you know, there, there may be some reality to that, but what are the implications of that kind of pressure and expectations on that person, right? That their fear of failure isn't just about them feeling failing sometimes, 
sense, but them failing their whole family sometimes, right? And so culturally, we can see that manifest in lots of lots of different ways in terms of the pressures to take care of one's family. And so because of that, I think the family's response will be very different depending on what the culture is. I think it's very hard to just say here is the gold standard of expectation because that's going to be different by culture. Um, but in general, you know, family members can try to navigate with the person, you know, are, are, are you everything to this family and what kind of pressure does that put on you to be everything and is that what we want is it fair you know is it necessary is there another way around it i mean i think that's going to be for every family to kind of explore yeah that's true that's true and that was a good question um all right so all this has been great advice right and and deep diving into anxiety what it is what are the signs how to get help how to approach it in academic settings and outside academia so now let's talk a little bit about um what we've been seeing in mass media when it comes to some things in mental health uh, it's been a while since we had you on a podcast and within these past year or so there's been a lot of conversations around the mental health with uh celebrities right um first i guess i would like let's highlight the big one, right? Um, Kanye West. Uh, It's been a lot of controversy, a lot of debate (laughs) about what's been going on in the mind of this guy. And and I know, you know, from from professional standpoint, we know I can't, we know you can't diagnose Kanye. You know, we're not going to ask you that. But, you know, people like myself who are just ordinary folk, again, not in the mental health profession, we hear and people say a lot of things about the state of Kanye um, and and what yeah. it looks like is going on um, from things yeah. he says and you know and also it's hard to keep up with him you know one time he says he has mental health um, diagnosed with mental health something along the lines of mental health uh, what is it bipolar disorder and things like that and then the next time he says it was a misdiagnosis and and we see him wearing MAGA hats and all this kind of stuff and um, and so you know. What is what is your take on this from from, you know, from the eyes of a mental health professional um, who has experience in this field and with these kind of situations? Again, I know you can't diagnose him, but generally what right. are you seeing with, with his patterns of behavior and, and the reception of everybody? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, so I mean, that's a, that's I'm glad that you said that in terms of not being able to diagnose him. And I, uh, I think I can, I can give you my opinions about, about Kanye and what's going on with him in terms of the way that I see it. But, you know, I don't have all the information um, in terms of Kanye West's uh, mental health or, or what's going on in his life. You know, the only people that could truly, truly answer this question would be Kanye and his team, you know, his team of providers that are working with him and that have much more information. I think what I would say from from what we get to see in the media is that he he, he obviously is having some struggles. Um, you know, something in his life has shifted and the expression of what's going on in his mind is coming out in lots of different ways. Um, you know, and I don't know that he fully understands exactly what's happening. And I think that that part is just evident. And like you said, him saying sometimes he has a mental health diagnosis. And then later on, you know, I think when he was meeting with Trump, he says like, oh, actually he was misdiagnosed. It's not bipolar. It's um, like sleep sleep induced whatever something he was talking about you know mm-hmm. so so i think for, for him there's probably a struggle as well in terms of what is this what do i accept what do i not accept about it you know kanye in general is a, is a creative guy i think from 
what we have seen of him. He's always been a creative guy. And so there's some of this that's like, well, yeah, that is kind of Kanye. Um, and then there are other parts of this that seem like he doesn't always appear to have as much control over what he's putting out there as he might even want to have control over. Um, and so that's the part that, you know, I think makes it seem a little more like these might be some mental health struggles is just the, the kind of inability to, to control um, what you're saying and how you're saying it and when you're saying it at times um, when you might otherwise really want to. Mm. So I guess I, let me ask you another question, too, because I've heard when it comes to Kanye, people are it's kind of one thing like people are saying, well, he's dealing with mental health issues, so we shouldn't pay him much mind, you know, until he gets help or whatever, it's clear. But there are other people saying, well, he's saying he doesn't have any, um, so let's yeah. just, you know, take him by what he's saying and, and cancel him, right? If he's supporting Trump and this is really how he feels, then, then X him out. Let's not use mental health as an excuse. And then I've also heard because he's been flip-floppy um, on a situation that people are saying that that can be damaging, right? Because, like, he said he had it. Then he was with Trump. He didn't say he had it. Then he had the Twitter beef with Drake, and he was getting on Drake for attacking him because he has mental health issues, right? And then people were like, well, I thought you said you didn't have it, but now you're saying Drake's attack, attack, attacking you and stigmatizing you, et cetera. Yeah. And so people are like, now nah, he seems to be, like, using it or when he wants to, you know, and, and people feel like that can be dangerous as well. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts on that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's such a hard call. If, if someone is using um, uh, mental health to uh, uh, kind of get what they want or get their point across or get particular, you know, get empathy um, for a particular situation at a time, then, yeah, that can be very um, <laughs> problematic. And that can make people not have a lot of empathy for what what you're going through. I don't know that that is what Kanye is doing. I mean, that's the... That's the first part that I keep saying about, like, what what do you do about any sort of issue that you're having is first understand that you're having it and how you're having it. And I don't know where Kanye is with understanding what he has or what it looks like for him. Um, and so I don't know if the flip flopping and the going back and forth, which I think we all hear him doing in the media, is because he's, you know, kind of weaponizing it and just trying to get what he wants, or is it really because he is in a state himself where he doesn't know exactly what this is, or isn't willing to accept whatever it is, which is often common um, for people who have, you know, different levels of, of mental health. You know, I can speak for people that, that I've known and that I've, I've worked with who have had mental health struggles. And it's, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, what's the best way to put it? It's a, it's a blow sometimes to this idea of who you thought you were, right? And it doesn't mean you're not that person anymore, but it does mean that I think people feel that way, that, okay, if I I have X, then now I am a person with X. And what about all of the rest of me? And what about everything that I was supposed to achieve? And what about everything that I was supposed to do? And, you know, so, okay, I don't have that. And if I don't have that, then I'll still be the person that I was before. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that people might be in a place of not knowing or accepting what is going on in their life. And so that, you know, that could be a part of this with Kanye. It also could not be, um, you know, I, I think overall, it, it, it has been clear that there is some change in him. Like this, Kanye was not always this way, even when he was always creative, even when sometimes he was saying kind of odd things. I think the level of 
bizarreness to some of the things has has changed, right? So there, so there's something happening there, and, and I think that he is kind of navigating what it is and what that looks like. And I think that that can make it hard for a lot of people, again, to have empathy for him sometimes, or to have an understanding for him, or to decide whether they want to accept what he's saying then as a representation of his thoughts or, you know, or not. I, I don't think that people are just saying things that aren't a part of them, though, right? So even even if this is uh, a diagnosable mental illness that Kanye West has, he's, he's still saying things that are a part of his thinking. And his thinking might be altered in some way because of um, mental health issues, again, if they are there. But there's also still part, some part of that that he keeps going back to, to to say is him. So I, 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 don't, I think it's a real it's a real challenge. You don't want to just dismiss everything something somebody is saying because they say it might be mental health. Because the flip side of that as well is that you're just dismissing people who have mental health as saying, you know, mental health issues as saying like, well, whatever they do, we'll just blame it on the mental health, which really dehumanizes what they do in another way too. Mm-hmm. So in essence, yeah, so it's like it's we can take both conversation seriously you know him potentially having a mental health issue but also the content of what he's saying can be taken seriously as well and not being discarded yeah 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 i was having a conversation with one of my good friends who's a psychiatrist the other day and we were talking about um paranoia you know and and often i talk when she and i talk we talk about like cultural paranoia and so even though somebody you know if you have a a person who is paranoid and they're always saying that people are following them right let's say that, that this is a black person who's saying like people are following me all the time but this is also a person who's been diagnosed with paranoia, it doesn't mean that people aren't really following him. You know, or, you know, there's somebody who's saying, I feel like at any moment I could die just by walking down the street and they have paranoia. That doesn't actually mean that their thought isn't real uh, or that it shouldn't be taken seriously, especially in this day and age where people are being attacked just for being a person of color or identifying in the LGBT community, you know, that level of paranoia might have something behind it. And so that's a, I mean, that's a much uh, broader example to say that, you know, just because someone has mental health doesn't mean that what they say is invalid or can only be attributed to their diagnosis. And so we have to take that on both ways, right? Even when they say something negative, it doesn't mean that we'll dismiss the negative thing that they said just because they have a diagnosis. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Um, so one of the last things I want to talk about too. Another celebrity that has been making noise uh, with mental health has been Charlemagne the God and his book Shook Ones, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, I believe is the name of the book. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And again, so he has been one to have recent conversations about this. And, you know, I have my own reservations um, about, you know, how genuine his move has been with this, because even when he wrote the book, I think he's only was in therapy for, uh, I think, a little less than a year by the time he started writing the book. Um, and so I know it was doing a lot of good for him. So, it's, you know, on service, he said he wanted to share it. But I also have my reservations because I feel like he was kind of profiting off of this conversation of mental health and, and the like. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also not being an expert in that field. It was just weird to write a book about it when you're not like an expert. But also, I know in the book it was like his thoughts and then he had a yeah. therapist. Huh? 
who kind of gave the like the towards the end like their their thoughts as far as what was going on or or, or from that perspective yeah. um, as well. Um, so I don't know that whole thing is interesting in and in itself. Uh, but I know you know he did things like had a live therapy session on um, MTV of uh, with Dr. Jess I believe is her name. And yeah. watching that myself, um, you know, I, I, I've never been to therapy. So I think, you know, I'm looking through the lens of people who have never been to therapy. And this is why he said he was doing it right to kind of um, shed light mm-hmm. on it, enlighten people, what have you, what therapy looks like. Um, but I, what I, from that therapy session myself, and this is just, you know, me never sitting in one, never having this experience. It didn't seem that... Um, I guess I was gonna say it didn't seem that good to me. Um, it didn't seem like like it didn't make me be like, dang, okay, I want to go to therapy, and oh, and I would really get something out of it. You know, I felt like it was pretty basic. It wasn't. It just wasn't a lot. How I imagined therapy to be, like really insightful, introspective, like kind of digging deep. Um, so I kind of want to know your thoughts about you know Charlemagne doing yeah. his book about anxiety, about the session with Doctor Jess and all that kind of stuff. You know, how, what were your impressions of all of that? Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, on, on one hand, uh, I really appreciate that Charlemagne is out there increasing awareness about mental health. And so I will say that, you know, I don't know whether this is all self-serving, although really I would argue that almost everything that we do is actually self-serving. So I don't know that I would blame him anymore for just kind of how we are in society as a whole. But, um, but, but I do, I do appreciate that there is some, Uh, conversation happening around mental health and that he's continuing the conversation. And so I think that his book is a way of continuing it. I listen to the um, to the Breakfast Club regularly. And so, you know, on the Breakfast Club, he is constantly, uh, you know, not only promoting the book, but I think talking specifically about his going to therapy every Friday and really encouraging people to go to therapy. So that I really do think is positive. I haven't read the book, uh, but I do know of the book because he talks about it <laughs> on like a daily basis yeah. on the show. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, so I, I understand, like you said, that it's a you know it's a book where he's really speaking about his own experience, and he has a therapist kind of reflecting on what that experience means. And for, as a psychologist, I actually find that very interesting. Like I'm always interested to hear what other people in the health and profession would make of something because we can all kind of listen to the same thing and have slightly different interpretations or ways of handling um, things, even though we usually get to about the same result. But, you know, we're different people bringing our different lens. So so really from just an academic perspective, I'm, I'm interested in what and what uh, what they did with that book. But I do wish that Charlemagne was doing a little more psychoeducation about what anxiety is rather than just talking about his experience of anxiety. So I think that him talking about his experience of anxiety furthers the conversation, but I think if he paired that with giving more information about what anxiety is specifically and kind of the conversation we're having today, what do you do with it and so forth, um, I think that would be even more beneficial to people. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that that uh, therapy session that he and, uh, and Dr. Jess had online, I did watch part of it. I didn't watch all of it because I actually felt very uncomfortable watching that show. I felt uh, I was telling my husband after I, I watched a little bit of it, I was like, I feel like this is like some sort of voyeur 
works. I'm like, I feel, I feel like, I feel like I'm way too into his personal like trauma and thoughts as a child. And there was, there was just, there's something about therapy that is a personal experience. And so while again, I do appreciate that he's sharing it and encouraging people to go, I also feel like everybody should not be a part of your therapy session (laughs) like that. There's just something that should be very personal about that. And I wish that they would have used that platform instead to actually talk about what anxiety is. Because that therapy session was so much more than anxiety. You know, it was really like child, it was was so much more. So I just, I wish they would have used that platform differently. And I wish that Dr. Jess, um, was a little more open in terms of uh, speaking about what her experiences are in this field. And I I heard that she did that recently on The Breakfast Club. I'm not caught up on this week's episodes, but I think she was just on there this week and they asked her if she got backlash after the therapy session because she's a resident. She's not a psychiatrist. Um, She's not licensed. She should have supervision. Mm. Um, I think she didn't for that experience. Um, You know, so I think she talked a little bit about that, which which I'm glad that she did because I think that as professionals, us being very open about what we can speak about, what we can't speak about, what our limitations are, um, that's, that's another important part that I think makes this not about just selling a product, but about really putting information out there in a way that people should be able to use it. Mm, yeah, and I think that's important too, just even being in your field of her letting people know that because it's like... Yeah you know, she's still kind of in training, right? And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But yeah. if I don't want, if I'm like, you know, a professor and there's a graduate student teaching and it's on camera and people are like, oh, this is how all professors are? Like, well, no, this this graduate student <laughs> is still in training. So if you yeah. go to a real yeah. class with a real professor, it's going to be different, you know, a little bit different. And so that need that kind of needs to be highlighted a little bit. Because again, you're trying to do this so people can go to therapy, but you want them to at least right. have the proper right. lens on as far as what they're going to expect. And it would be a little different, like, oh, okay, Dr. Jess is still in training, so this is not like, this is kind of like the introductory level of what we would get. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that she that she doesn't know, you know, what what she's doing, or that she doesn't have helpful things to contribute. Because I think obviously Charlemagne, who in that situation was the client, perceived what she was doing as helpful, which is very important, mm-hmm. right? I just think the other part of it, like we're saying, is also. To just, I mean, that that's that's really just the ethics of it, to just kind of stay where you are in, in your training or whether you're licensed um, or so forth. And I think to if you're if you're not licensed to be able to have that additional support, um, um, you know, in the room, because there are times that Charlemagne started talking about stuff that I feel like the conversation could have gone you know, maybe a different way. Um, although, you know, like I said, every every person is different. Everybody's bringing something different to the table as the mental health professional um, that's there. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I do, I do have a lot of appreciation for them at least getting the message out about mental health. Oh, yeah, I think that's good. And I'm pretty sure she had to address it because, you know, once you go into the limelight like that, I'm pretty sure people are hitting you up wanting to be clients. And then she probably had to yeah. be like, well, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. <laughs> there yet. I'm not yeah. licensed yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, this was a really interesting and insightful conversation. And I was just wondering, is there anything we didn't ask about that you think is important to discuss in relation to anxiety? Um, you know, one one thing that I that I do want to just kind of circle back to about uh, about 
anxiety for people of color in general. I think there are so many ways that anxiety manifests itself, like we were talking about earlier. And sometimes what might be underneath that anxiety, like we were discussing, might be a pressure to excel. And I think that for people of color, that is very salient. I think this idea that, you know, uh, that you have to work twice or three times as hard as someone else, that there really is no room for error that you you, you know, have to be the best in order to be um, successful. I think that there's a real pressure around that, that you don't really have as much of a safety net, you know, as maybe other um, individuals do. And so I think that that sometimes can really fuel the anxiety for people of color, as well as the the thought of just um, surviving, right? So not just surviving in terms of exceeding in your career or things, but surviving in terms of the pressure to make it so that you can take care of your family, so you can put food on the table, so that you can, you know, increase your level of kind of class and status in the world so that maybe you can actually survive because people won't, you know, want to kill you as badly as they want to kill other people of color who might be of lower SES, although I, I think they, you know, they want to kill us all in general, but that's my own anxiety. So, you know, I think, I think, I think, that's, I think that's just another important part, as I was saying earlier, about the there are really cultural differences in terms of why people might feel anxious, um, you know, that, that impact them, what they could actually do about the anxiety, because the pressures of, of kind of surviving in this world, you know, are, are not in immediately something that is in control all the time uh, for people. And so, you know, again, just that idea about what do you do about it, I think sometimes is, is, is also the acceptance of where, of where things are and that there's only so much sometimes that you can do about it. Yeah, I want to ask a quick follow-up question. Not sure if you if there's any data on this or not, but it just popped in my mind as you were saying what you're saying. Are there has there been any research or anything dealing with like differences between anxiety per se and and race at all? Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I asked that too because as you were talking, I was thinking about like I was just thinking about like the students who primarily come in my office and are saying they're dealing with anxiety and it's messing with their schoolwork are most of the time white students. It's, it's very rare that I have black students coming in and saying like, yo, Dr. Khan dealing with anxiety, they can't get this work done. Maybe it just can be um, mm-hmm. differences in education, not having a word for it or whatever. I'm not sure. But just thinking of my experience with my students, I re- it's primarily the white students who are coming in and proclaiming this as an issue more than my black students. So is there anything, yeah. any research about that? Yeah. You know what? I would say it's not it's not um, just a difference in, in education or having a word for it, but it's the difference in acceptance of it. So, you know, for 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 communities of color, it is, and especially I'll speak to like black community, it is not uh, often acceptable to say I'm having anxiety about this situation, right? People are kind of like, suck it up and get over it. Like you need to do what you need to do. You need to work, you know, the bills need to be paid. Somebody's got to do it. There's kind of, there's the surviving mindset to do it where I feel like for white groups, there is a little more of an acceptance that you might be anxious about something. You have these different stressors and more of this, what can we do about it? Um, One of the things that the research shows are that communities of color 
experience more daily stressors. So thinking about black individuals experiencing daily stressors, not just in terms of the stress that we all think about, but racial stress as well, the oppression that black people feel on a daily basis, discrimination, microaggressions, all of those things are stressors that also can you know, be anxiety provoking um, and be another underlying cause like we've been talking about, whereas white groups don't um, necessarily have that. And so where is, you know, black individuals are experiencing more and more of this stress, they are actually underdiagnosed with it when it comes to getting like an anxiety disorder diagnosis, mm. meaning it, it seems more, again, more acceptable to look at a person who's white saying the same symptoms as a person who's black and identify that white person as having anxiety. And then people just kind of looking at the black person, like, I'm not really sure what that is. I don't know why they're presenting this way. They're angry, Mm. right? Like irritability is a part of anxiety. And I think the black person would just be another angry black person, whereas the white person would be seen as like, oh, okay, yeah, they have anxiety or something going on. Mm. There's something incongruent about why, you know, they're, they're feeling this level of irritability. Ah, okay. Okay, no, that's helpful. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this has been a great conversation. As always, we appreciate you coming to take time to chat with us. Um, is there any place where our listeners can find you, social media, Twitter, things like that? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter um, at Dr. Siobhan Janae, uh, Dr. Siobhan, S-H-A-B-O-N-N-E, Janae, J-E-A-N-N-E, all one word, um, on Instagram and Twitter. Nice. So we'll be sure to link that up with the um, description when we put up the episode. Um, but other than that, appreciate you joining us, Dr. Moore Laban. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And, Thanks and for I'm having sure, me. If we have any other, you know, I'm sure if we have any other topics about mental health, we'll be bringing you on again um, since yeah. you're now our new uh, resident psychologist for BHD. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, Dad, so what you think about our guest, Dr. Moore LeBon? I thought it was a good conversation. I appreciated the distinction she made between stress and anxiety. And, you know, even you kind of stressing that anxiety is something that just kind of sticks with you. I thought that was a good point. Uh, to be completely honest, I experience anxiety. Um, I don't know if it's like generalized, like I haven't had like a diagnosis, but I have experienced like some of the symptoms where I can just get so overworked. I'm experiencing like heart palpitations and, you know, personally, I just had to figure out little things that work for me and like understand my triggers. And I feel like that, that was, you know, a real breakthrough in terms of anxiety that I've experienced and how, you know, sometimes I'm stressed and not anxious. Now I feel like I experience more stress now sometimes. Um, but I have in the past experienced anxiety. So that was a good conversation. You know, I agree. It was, um, I think, you know, I, I could say that anxiety isn't something that I really feel like I've, I deal with or I have a lot. I mean, of course, in some situations, you know, you have some minor anxiety, but it's something I really feel like I don't, you know, I never really experienced too much of. So it was good to just have this conversation. Um, and really for me just to understand, uh, how, um, to operate around folks who may have anxiety and, and what should and shouldn't happen or do. And for me, I think it was really interesting and good to hear, like get the perspective of, of Siobhan about just, 
you know, from the professor's perspective, you know, really trying to navigate and figure out how to um, deal with my students who experience anxiety. And, you know, I think it was good to hear that I really, you know, she kind of expressed that I really shouldn't have to go or feel that I have to go outside of my role as a professor and go above and beyond. You know, I'm not a mental health practitioner. So, you know, just staying focused on the schoolwork, trying to talk to them and understand, but not really you know, giving extra time or extra work, you know, if I don't feel comfortable with that, then I don't have to do that. So, you know, that was kind of reassuring to hear because sometimes, you know, most at most higher education spaces are trying to figure out how to deal with it. And so, you know, many professors take their different different approaches. Some, you know, try to work with them and, and, and do a lot more handholding and give extra time. But for me, that I don't feel comfortable doing that all the time. I really don't like to do that. And so it was good to hear that I don't, you know, have to do that. And, you know, just really try to motivate them to figure out ways to get through it. I think it makes sense in a lot of ways because in the real world, you know, whatever issues we have, the world is not going to kind of stop and coddle you because you have, you know, certain things going on. Right. And you're going to have to figure out how to overcome it, get things in on time and do put your best foot forward and, you know, strategize. And if you continuously not just help people like that, but just continuously, like, give them extra time, extra support. Well, when you get into the real world, you know, that's not going to happen. You can't live in this bubble. Um, So I think it's, you know, it was a good conversation to have. Yeah, I agree. And I do agree with the advice and individuals trying to figure out what's going on and how they can overcome it. Uh, But I do, Mm -hmm. you know, I like the fact that you are also thinking as a professor, like what can you do within the confines, like of, of your role description. Um, And so I I think that's kind of really important because I feel like a lot of students deal with anxiety and, you know, you might find this weird. We kind of talked about it before, you know, like the YouTube meditation videos, uh, ASMR, mm-hmm. where people whisper, well, OK, I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out, you guys. I listen to those videos because it helps reduce my anxiety <laughs> at night. So at nighttime, like I will I can lay around for like hours in a dark room and like my brain is just working it will just it will not stop but those videos although they're weird they help me to just like focus on the video that's all I'm focusing on (laughs) I'm not listening my mind is not working or thinking about anything else and I will fall asleep within like 10 minutes and that actually helps anxiety because I'm not waking up like exhausted so yeah I'm I I admit it guys I listen to (laughs) weird videos Hey, if it works, it works. You know, everybody got to find their things and their strategies that help them, you know, get to sleep at night. You yeah, know? yeah. So, so, so no judgment here. You know, but which ones you be listening to? Uh, it, it's just, it's different ones. Actually, <laughs> Cardi B actually has one, like a official one on YouTube. She, does, she has one that she that actually one. did? <laughs> yes, so, yes. Oh, wow. Like she had did, she had played around with one on a radio show and then she ended up doing, it's like one of them. Mm. I, I've listened to that one. You know what? To be honest, I try to find, they call them ASM artists and I try to find black ones. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I'll just put in like the YouTube thing, like black, you know, ASMR videos. And there's, there's a lot of people out there. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is one way I deal with anxiety. Like even like during the daytime, like if I find myself um, just kind of like, my mind is just going crazy and I'm like stressing out. Mm-hmm. I pop 
you know, I pop on one of those videos and I just kind of like close my eyes and relax for a little bit. I've listened to it also while I was writing just Mm. because it it keeps me calm. So, yeah. That's good. I mean, you got your little strategy, man. So, I mean, for those of you listening, you know, maybe if you have anxiety, give it a shot. You never know. You never Um, know. Find one for you. And they have other meditation videos that are not people like whispering into the the microphone. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, I don't listen to them, but I've, you know, I've looked at them before. And I would say that, you know, it's funny because they are captivating in some weird way. You know, they do keep <laughs> your attention. You know, I was like, you start listening to them when I first heard about it. I looked, I was like, what in the world? And then, but I'm like, you can't really stop watching it because it's just like, it's kind of different. Yeah. Um, so I can see how it captures your attention. It can like make you focus on that instead of, your mind racing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's about focus and being in the moment. I think that's what it is. And it puts me into the moment to where I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about the past. It's, I'm in the moment. That's interesting because when you do like, you know, I've, I do a lot of meditation like in the mornings before I wake up. But like when I was trying to learn how to meditate and stuff, that was always just like one of the main things they said you should be doing when you're meditating is like being present and mm-hmm. in the moment um, instead of like thinking about whatever else, everything else you got on the agenda, everything else you got on the day, just like taking a pause and like focusing on that. So, so I mean, honestly, that is just a form of meditation. Um, it is. Uh, which is, which is interesting enough. Um, so, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it was good conversation. Nonetheless, you know, we know there's been a lot of debate and conversation going on with anxiety. So we're glad to have Dr. Moore Laban on here to talk to it, talk to us about it. Um, and so, you know, continue to push this conversation forward, share it, you know, uh, with people who you think may be having anxiety or dealing with students around anxiety or whatever it is, um, this may be something good for them to hear. Um, and other than that, if you, you know, haven't followed us on social media yet, you can follow us at BHD Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, you can follow us on our website, www.blackandhighdangerous.com to keep up with our latest content. You can email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com for anything. If you want to be on the show, if you want to give us topic ideas, all that kind of stuff, we always look forward to that and welcome those ideas. Um, you can share us, uh, no, we'll review and rate us on iTunes, and then you can share us with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies, and always continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.